Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out, checking us out. Uh, it is a great day to be here. We are in week two of this brand new series that, that we're calling Take a Stand. And um, what we're doing over the next couple of weeks is examining the life and the stories of Daniel, one of the greatest Old Testament figures, a guy who has sort of landed himself in what I often call the Sunday School Hall of Fame. He's this guy that we love to teach our kids about because well, he's just got a lot of great stories and he, he embodies a lot of godly character and there's so much that we can learn from him. And so what we are doing over the course of this series last week, today, for the next two, is we're taking a look at the various times that Daniel took a stand for God. And our goal in looking at all these various encounters is to find out what it looks like for us to stand for the right things at the right time and in the right way. And so today, as we continue this series, what I want to do is just have a little chat with you guys, just a little round table, if you will, talking about what it looks like for us to have tough conversations. Because there's going to come a time, trust me, okay, there's going to come a time when someone you love, someone you care about, someone you are friends with, someone who is in your family is beginning to or is already making uh, unwise decisions. And God is going to prompt you to speak into that person's life and to put them back onto the right path, to almost confront them in a way. Now, when it comes to confrontation, some of us hear those words and we start, you know, sweating when we hear that word confrontation. But when we, when we talk about confrontation, there are generally speaking two different types of people, two groups, if you will. Now, the first group when it comes to confrontation, the first group is actually unwilling to confront you know, it's not really any of my business. It's like, if they want to do that, that's fine. That's their life. That's their journey. They're, you know, they're doing their thing, all that kind of like, and how many times have you said, or perhaps even heard it said, you know, look, who am I to judge, right? Come on. Who, who am I to judge? Well, I just want to dial down on this word judge here for a second, because we as DHC, at least, we got to get this figured out if we're going to be able to understand and apply today's message. Because the idea of judging is, it's a tricky concept within Christianity. I mean, it really is. Because on the one hand, you got Jesus, the main man who clearly commands, he goes, look, do not judge. Do not judge or you too, pardon me, this is a little far out for me. They're all like instructing me down here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. Interestingly enough, this do not judge, this is, this is one of those Bible verses that non-Christians love to quote. And they love to quote this to Christians because, well, let's be honest, Christians love to judge. And, and, and it's a very popular verse, I should say, because at a surface level, it would appear that Jesus is commanding sort of a, like a universal acceptance of any kind of lifestyle, any kind of belief, whatever you want to do, he, he's good with it. But one of the things that we do know, if you are a follower of Christ and you really listen to his teaching, is we know that Jesus calls us to a higher standard. I mean, he, he actually said, I know that you think murdering is when you kill somebody. I'm just letting you know in the eyes of God, when you're angry with somebody in their heart, you've murdered them. So, so clearly a guy like this is not just saying, well, you do you, right? So, so what is he saying? When Jesus says, do not judge, what is he talking about? 
in the context of this conversation, what Jesus is saying is don't size someone up and just write them off. Don't kind of give me one of these and, and look at what I'm wearing and listen to like maybe a couple of things that I've said and, and don't come to a conclusion about me without knowing me or knowing my story. That's not love, he would say. That is judgment and do not judge like that. But as Christians, when we hear Jesus saying, do not judge, we kind of think, well, that means don't ever question anybody about anything. Don't ever question somebody on their life choices or what's going on in their life and just, just mind your own business. Now, here's where it gets tricky. While we are commanded not to judge in this manner, we are called to judge in a different manner. But there's some guidelines as to how that looks. Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 5, says this. What business is it of mine? I love that. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church. Meaning if someone isn't a Christian, they haven't signed up for the Christian system of morality. And you can't expect somebody who isn't a Christian to act like a Christian when Christians don't even act like Christians. So Paul's like, what, what business is it of mine to, to judge those who aren't Christians? It's not any of my business. But here's where it gets interesting. And here's where I want to take this conversation cautiously for the rest of the day. Paul goes on to say, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So don't judge folks by sizing them up and writing them off, but do judge them by recognizing when a fellow believer has fallen into sin when they're heading down the wrong path, when, when they're making unwise choices and help them, confront them, have tough conversations with them in order to put them back on the right path towards God. And even though some of us are unwilling to confront people, and trust me, I get it, all right, I get it. Paul says you got a responsibility to do just that. So you got folks who don't want to confront then at the other end of the spectrum, we got another group because there's, there's, there's two groups. We got another group and none of these people go to this church, but you might know some of these people in your walk. Okay, so you get some Christians who confront unlovingly. They're just like a, like a bull in a china shop, okay? They have no boundaries. They have no sense of what's appropriate. There's no sense of timing. In fact, their timing is always very poor. There's no finesse. There's no grace. There's no filter. Furthermore, they, they often just seem to speak into the lives of people with whom they have no relationship at all. There's no love. I mean, other than the fact that they both might be Christians, that's, a, that's about where it ends. They've built no trust with these people. There's no kind of rapport with these people. I mean, effectively, what they've become is like a, like a self-appointed Christian hallway monitor just calling people out left and right, handing demerits for things, you know, all that. Like my dad would say, these folks are what he calls spiritual fruit inspectors, okay? That they're just, they've taken on the role of the Holy Spirit and they're judging everybody else's spiritual journey. That's what the Pharisees did. And that drove Jesus crazy. So we have Christians out there all over the spectrum. Some want to say something, some can't wait to say something. Others don't want to say anything at all. So 
That means we need to seek God's wisdom to find out, all right, well, how, how to confront in a right way at the right time for the right reason, because God may call you to intervene in somebody else's life. Maybe, maybe for you, it's a child. I, I don't know any of your stories, but like maybe, maybe you've got what you would call a prodigal son and, and they're just out there and, and they're making unwise choices. And you got to figure out when is the right time to speak to them? How do I do this in the right way so that I can, I can speak truth into their life without pushing them away? Maybe for you, it's a friend. And, you know, your relationship with the friend is fine, but, but lately they're just, they're off. They're just, mm, something's off. Maybe they've fallen away from church. They're not really, you know, they were going so often. Now they don't really go at all anymore. And you just, you know, you've been thinking about it and praying about it, and you got to figure out, how do I speak into my friend's life in the right way, in the right time? How do I come with the right motivation? That's what today is all about. So last week, if you were here with us, we all met a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the sort of the bad guy of the first part of Daniel's life and, and history, even outside of scripture. History will tell us that Nebuchadnezzar was an evil guy. He oppressed people. Interesting anecdote for your next um, cocktail hour. Saddam Hussein was obsessed with King Nebuchadnezzar. You go look it up. He actually thought that he was the reincarnated version of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, since we first met him last uh, week, 30 years has gone by. Daniel, when he entered the scene, was about 13 to 15 years old. Now Daniel's about 45 years old. And King Nebuchadnezzar has had all kinds of interactions with Daniel, some good, some bad. But through these interactions with Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has actually seen God move and work. And God has gotten his attention. So much so, you go back and you can read it for yourself, that Nebuchadnezzar actually starts leaning towards the things of God, even praising him, praising the Most High, as he would say. But just as he was about to sort of get to, let's say, crossing over the line of faith, pride kicks in and pulls him back. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you're somebody who, who sort of kind of teeters back and forth, or maybe, maybe one time you, you almost got really close to God or really close to Jesus, and all of a sudden your pride kicked in or something kicked in, and it was like, oh, almost got me, right? And you, and you pulled back, and there's just this tug of war in your life. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Well, one evening, God shows up in Nebuchadnezzar and gives him this dream that, well, it just terrified him. Now, he, he wrote a letter recounting this dream. So I'm going I'm to read to you Nebuchadnezzar's recount of this dream that he had. Here's what he says. I saw a large tree in the middle of earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. He goes on to say that the wild animals lived inside the tree, birds nested in this tree, in fact, the whole world was fed from the fruit of this tree. Then he says, this holy messenger from heaven, we don't know who that is, maybe it's an angel, this holy messenger of heaven shows up and shouts, cut down the tree, to lop off its branches. And he says, leave just the stump. And this holy messenger says that all of this is going to happen so that the world will know that the most high is the one who's in charge. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He's 
terrifying. It doesn't sound like a good dream. And he calls in his wise men. He calls in his magicians and he goes, boys, I need you to interpret this dream. I, I, got, I need you to tell me exactly what this dream means. And when these wise men hear this dream, they say, well, I mean, we can't interpret it. We're just, we, we can't do that. Subtext, they don't want to do it. Because they know that if they tell Nebuchadnezzar what this dream is about, he might lop off their own heads. So he calls in Daniel. Because he knows Daniel has this ability. He and Daniel have this relationship. Daniel has interpreted dreams before for Nebuchadnezzar. There is a trust between these two people. There is a rapport between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. But when Daniel hears the dream, he's terrified. Nebuchadnezzar can see this in his face. He actually says to him, Belteshazzar, that's what he calls Daniel, if you remember, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its meaning alarm you. It's kind of like easy for you to say, right? I mean, like you toss my buddies into a furnace, different story for a different week. So what could have Daniel done in this moment? He could have just cut and run like the other wise men. He could have been like, geez, boss, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. Tree? You know, stumps, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know if there's anything there. It just seems like, a, I don't know, did you have pizza last night? I don't really know what it's about. But Daniel, as you're going to see, lovingly stands up to the king, takes a stand to the king, and he speaks boldly into the king's life and tries to help him into the right direction. Take a look at what Daniel says. He says, my Lord, if only... If only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. That's not a great start, okay? If you're like getting the head dream guy and he goes, oh, your dream, my gosh, I wish it was for your enemies. But it's like, cancer, get out of here, okay? So Daniel's like, look, we got to, this is a problem. What Daniel is showing us here is that he actually cares for the king. At this point, over the last 30 years, they have become friends. And Daniel doesn't want this dream to be true for King Nebuchadnezzar. He continues. He says, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Then he begins to peel back the dream even more. Gets a little uncomfortable. He says, you will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Basically, you're going to become insane. Seven periods of time will pass, seven years. Seven years will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But there's good news, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that command, he says, everything. the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots? Well, that means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. All right, so Daniel has now interpreted the dream. He has done his duty. He has done what Nebuchadnezzar has asked of him. He could have stopped here, but he doesn't. Because Daniel wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to know the goodness of his God. And so he spoke, tr he spoke truth into the life of Nebi, trying to change his ways. Take a look at what he says. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. 
Truth is, anytime we sort of bring loving correction, if you will, into somebody else's life, this is the general framework of the conversation. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Stop wasting your money. Do what's right. Hey, you got to stop risking your marriage and do what's right. You got to stop goofing off at work and do what's right. He says, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you are heading down the wrong path. I am not judging you and writing you off. I want you to have success in this world. I want you to be right with God in this world. So please, because I love you, do what's right. Every single one of us might be called to have this type of conversation with someone that we love. And Paul, knowing this, this guy who wrote over half the New Testament, gives us some great advice, and it really mirrors what happened with Daniel. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly, not harshly and arrogantly, as we all you know, so often see within the local church, but gently and humbly. Listen, friend, because I love you and I care for you, not because I think I'm better than you, not, not because I'm looking down on you, but because I love you. I want to speak into your life and I want to help you back on the right path because you're heading in a direction right now or you're in a place right now that could end up hurting you. See, according to Paul, the goal of confrontation is restoration, not condemnation. The point of these conversations is not to come down on somebody like a, like a ton of bricks. I mean, how many times have you been on the receiving end of those kinds of conversations? The point of these confrontations are, are not to make others feel like a, like a pile of trash, but to lovingly come alongside them and say, hey, there's a, there's a better way. So when Paul says that we are to do this uh, gently and humbly, what he's letting us know is that approach matters. That there's actually a right way and a wrong way to approach somebody about an issue in their life. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the importance uh, of, of sort of coming up with predetermined resolutions. These things in our lives that we'll either never do or these things that we will always do. And I told you that one of the predetermined resolutions that I had made in my life many, many years ago was that I was always going to go to church. I mean, if my heart was beat and doors were open, I was going to be there. And like I said, when I was at college, even though I was at you know, a cigarette party until four in the morning, I was going to be up the next morning and at church at 9 a.m. I wasn't going to miss. Now, when I moved to Florida, once I graduated from New Jersey, when I moved to Florida right after college, I just happened, to, I mean, it was just, it just happened to happen. I became friends with one of the owners of, at that time, the biggest nightclub in South Beach. And every single Friday night and every single Saturday night, my buddy and I, we would drive down to South Beach. We would go to this club. We would sit at the owner's table. Oh, it was a scene, okay? I was like a real hot shot back then. All right, we, I know it's hard to believe when you look at me now, okay? And no matter how late we stayed, 
I always made sure, because I made a predetermined resolution, I always made sure I'd get back to Fort Lauderdale and I'd be at church right down the road at 9.30 every single Sunday. Because, hey, as long as I made it there, we're good. Now, unbeknownst to me, I had, I had no idea, but unbeknownst to me, my mom began to have a little bit of concern about my new routine. Because my nights were getting later and later. The company that I was keeping, as you can imagine, was getting faster and faster. Now, I had not made any unwise decisions yet, but she was concerned about the path that I was on. And so on Sundays, we talk on the phone, and I remember, like it was yesterday, we were just talking one Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden she said, hey, so listen. And whenever somebody says, hey, so listen, it's never going to be like, I want to give you $1,000, right? You know you're in for something. She goes, hey, so listen. I'm glad you're having fun down there, because she's up in Jersey at this point. I'm glad you're having fun down there. And I'm glad that you've made friends down there. And, and you know, Dad and I were thrilled that you found a church that, that you love, and you're, you're able to you plug into it. But, and I say this with love, your Saturday nights, they're starting to, too frequently, spill into your Sunday mornings. And I know you're still going to church. And I'll never forget what she said next for as long as I live. But I'm just concerned that you're not giving God your best. You're giving God what's left over. And she was right. Because, yeah, I showed up there, but was I really there? And because she approached this conversation with gentleness and humility, because she had earned the right to speak into my life. And some of you have relationships with your parents where you know, I mean, they, they don't have the right to speak to you. My mom had earned a right to speak into my life because she didn't come down on me like a ton of bricks. Rather, with love and respect, the Holy Spirit was able to use her and speak into my heart. And it was after this conversation that I made a commitment that I was going to stay home on Saturday nights. I mean, you ask my friends, you ask my wife, I'll go to dinner with you, but I want to be home at a reasonable hour because I want to, I want to wake up and give God 100% of, of, of who I am. And this is way before I was up here on the stage. This is when I was just sitting in, in the rows like you guys. And it was with this simple conversation, this tough conversation, this confrontation, that my mom was able to put me back on the right path. So Paul says we are to be gentle and humble in helping others in these kinds of conversations. But then he gives us a warning. He says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. In other words, when you go to speak to somebody about that issue, when you go to have that tough conversation, when you go to confront them about that unwise choice in their life, you got to make sure that you confront with caution. Why? Because when you go to speak to somebody like that, when you go to confront someone over an issue in their life, you become vulnerable to pride. And if you're not careful, you can begin to view yourself as the more spiritual person, the one who's got it all together. The, you know, you better thank God that I'm in your life, right? And you just do what I do and say what I say, and, and you're going to be all good. We want to be so careful that we don't fall victim to pride when we go to confront people about the issues in their life. Additionally, we want to confront with caution because sometimes, I'm not saying this is you, 
But sometimes our motivation for confrontation can be wrong. Sometimes our emotions get pulled into it. Sometimes our sin nature gets pulled into it and it actually can cloud our judgment. And so before you go to that person, you got to check your heart. You got to get down on your knees. You got to seek wisdom. You got to ask God. You got to find out, is, is this a God thing? Is this a you thing? Because I can't begin to tell you in my ministerial career how many conversations I have heard or, or been a part of, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard someone say, well, I just feel led to say. That's the key word. I just feel led to say. And I want to go, really? Who's leading you right now? I mean, are you sure? I mean, because I just heard what you, are you sure that you have no ulterior motives? Are you sure this has nothing to do with you? Are you sure you're not just angry? Are you sure you haven't just gotten your way? I mean, have you completely and totally and 100% removed yourself out of the equation before you go and speak to this person about this thing? Because God could have given you a burden for this issue in that person's life. Or that burden could just reflect a weakness in your own heart. So Daniel speaks into the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, king, king, I, I love you. I just, I just, I love you. I, please humbly accept my advice. Stop sinning and change your ways. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar hears this, do you think he listens? Do you think he repents? No. He just keeps on rebelling. Well, the dream comes true. And he is pushed off into the wilderness and he goes mad. It's a, it's a dark scene. He goes mad for seven years. Here's the truth. God may call you to speak into somebody else's life. And you may do it with gentleness. You may do it with humility. And sometimes they're going to listen. And they're going to change their ways. And other times, the wall goes up. Here's what I want you to know. You are not responsible for their response. You're not. You are simply responsible to be obedient to God when he places that call on your heart, and you are to trust God with the results. That's what Daniel did. And after those seven years went by in that wilderness, by the grace of God, Nebuchadnezzar had a revelation. Take a look. This is his own words. At the end of that time, that seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eye toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Many theologians believe that one day we will actually see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He repents, his life is restored, and in the process, God is glorified. See, the goal of speaking into somebody else's life is to build them up, not tear them down, to restore them, and to bring honor to God. And unfortunately, too many Christians just call each other out simply to condemn. But Jesus is calling us to be for one another, not against one another. Jesus wants us to live together, to love one another. He wants us to speak truth to one another in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, so we can see the right results. What's the practical? 
What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you heard. So the goal for today was not to challenge you to kind of go find three people and confront them. Okay, that is not like, don't, you should not be walking around looking for people to, you know, I can't wait to talk to them. Okay, don't do that, okay? Like, that's not what we've been called to do. The goal for today is to prepare us and get us ready for that time, and it could be today, for that time when God taps you on the shoulder and says, I need you to say something. So knowing that there is going to come a time in your life that we're going to have to speak up and have a tough conversation, I want to encourage you, here's your first practical, I want to encourage you to check your vision. Now, what the heck does that mean? When Jesus famously said, do not judge, or you too will be judged, he didn't stop there. I mean, I know people like getting this tattooed on them, but he didn't stop here. He continued to drill down. He went further. He said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. You know what he's describing here? He is describing somebody who confronted without caution and has now fallen victim to pride. This is when you go to somebody with, with an air of superiority. This is, this is when you go to somebody because you're right and it has nothing to do with getting them right with God. Now, if Jesus stopped here, if he put down the microphone and he walked off the stage and he goes, all right, that's it for the day, the takeaway from this would be mind your own business. You do you, you do you, everybody mind your own business, but he doesn't stop here. This is just a buildup to a command. He says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I know we're hesitant to speak up. I know a lot of us are unwilling to, to confront, but the problem with minding your own business is that it does nothing for the person whose business needs minding. We, life is not about leaving people alone and just minding your own business, according to what Jesus is saying here, life is about getting to a place in your own life through prayer and reflection where you see your own warts and you can appropriately, at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason, confront somebody about the speck in their own eye, the junk in their life the unwise decisions. See, Jesus commands us to address our own issues so that we are equipped and prepared and ready to address the issues in the lives of those that we love. And that's not judgment. That's love. So check your vision. Humble yourself so that you have a heart to help those who are on your path. Lastly, I would challenge you to invite someone to be your Daniel. Like I was saying, life is not meant to be lived alone. We are to live in a community. And I would just challenge you to be proactive. Go to maybe a family member 
go to a trusted friend and say, hey, listen, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself that I can be, all right? I want to be the best spouse that I can be. I want, I want to be the best parent that I can be. We have a relationship. We've built this rapport. I trust you. I, 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 I just want to give you permission ahead of time. I just want to give you permission to speak into my life, to use your voice coupled with godly wisdom to help me stay on the right path so that I can glorify God in everything that I do. The wisest man who ever lived, a guy named Solomon, said this, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. You see, God has put people in our lives for a reason. And it's our job to listen to them when they speak into our lives. And it's our job when God prompts us to speak into theirs with gentleness and humility and love. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to come together and talk about a topic that has probably hit every single one of us. God, I just have to imagine that there are some of us in this room right now that have felt your prompting for a long time. Lord, there's someone in our lives someone we care about, someone we love. And we just see them making some unwise choices. We've seen, they're going down the wrong path, Lord, but we've just, we have not spoken up. We have not said anything. And I just pray, God, that today you would give us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the courage to say something, to speak up with gentleness and humility, with love, So God, you might be honored and they may be drawn nearer to you. And Lord, I would also just say, because we're humans, there's a pretty good chance that some of us have perhaps had the wrong conversation at the wrong time, in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons. And maybe we've done some damage. Maybe we've actually broken a relationship rather than restoring it. And I just pray, God, that if it isn't the case, I pray, God, that again, you would come into that situation. You would give us the courage to go to that person, hat in hand, apologize, and Lord, restoration would occur. So please, Jesus, help us in our walk to be the voice for those we love. And God, at the same time, help us to hear those voices and your wisdom. And in all things, we will give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.